Hey everybody, it's Rajesh here. And Tane here. Welcome to our podcast, Baskets of Knowledge, Chats with a Difference. In our podcast, we invite guests from around the country and around the world to talk about how they got to where they are at the moment. It's about a journey, it's about an experience, it's about their life. Kia ora everybody, welcome to a, another edition of Baskets of Knowledge. It's um, been a while since we've had a, a a live session um probably because i was away i got covered and um nobody wants to hear me when i have covered and i think it was also a good break but hopefully you've enjoyed the little short episodes that um Tane and myself have posted Tane, good to see you again yeah good to see you too it's been it's been a while yeah it has been a while yeah it has been a while and tell me in the last two weeks or three weeks that we haven't had a podcast what have you what have you learned um i think i've learned a few things um but one thing I've been reflecting on lately is how um, crucial time management actually is. You know, I've got less papers this week and oh, this semester, I should say. Um, and so with that, you know, it gives me, gives me time to do a lot of extra curricular things. Um, but I'm also finding that I'm actually struggling with trying to be able to focus on everything and get everything done, which seems a bit of a paradox when last semester I was able to fit so much into such little time. So I guess reflecting on how crucial time management actually is and how focusing just on one thing at a time will actually allow me to make the most of the small things that I do actually have to achieve. That's crazy. You know, I think um, I find that when I have free time, I end up wasting time. When I don't have free time, I'm way more structured. And it's, I think it's just, it's probably a human human psyche. It's mm. so crazy how that happens. Um, and, I'm, and I'm really glad you spoke about that because that just dovetails into what I've learned over the last few weeks. Um, and getting sick, one of the big things that I realized is the importance of rest. And I think we've spoken about this many, many times, but it's only when you, when you, when you can't do the things that you can do normally, you realize actually rest is, rest is actually important. And, you know, as you said, as I said before, when we have lots to do, we try and do everything and get things done, but then we forget about the rest. So, um, you know, the rest is important, and I realize that. And, yeah. But enough of the two of us talking, because um, we could talk about random stuff all day, but we're not here for that there. Um, as always, tell this is out there. We, um, we try to bring you some amazing people, and every one of our speakers so far has been really fantastic. And today we're going to do the same thing. And um, I'd like to introduce a person that I, I first saw uh, our guest's story um, online, and then I saw it in a stuff article, then I saw it um, at, at the Inspiring Futures Festival, which just happened last week in Wellington, and I was like, man, this is a, what an awesome story, what an awesome human being, and um, we're very honored and privileged to have Ali Muhammad on our podcast today. Ali, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Pajesh, and thanks, Tane. Uh, uh, thanks for having me. It's our Great pleasure. to be here. Fantastic. So, Ali, do you want to just, before we get into our story, do you want to tell tell our listeners we, what are you doing at the moment? So, yeah, um, so at the moment, yeah, at the moment, I'm uh, my, uh, starting my uh, Master of Management um, here at the University of Thomas North. regarding at the moment. I'm also on the board of executives uh, at Nancy University Student Association, uh, the education portfolio I've got. Uh, as well as I'm also on the board of um, directors at Metal uh, 2 Multicultural Council. And this you know, I'm a football referee, a cricket umpire during the summer as well. And 
yeah, I love uh, running and training. It's part of my weekend too. And yeah, I just like to be active and like to be on people. So yeah. Awesome. I mean, that that's awesome. I mean, you you're in all you're in such an awesome representative at Massey University, plus in the Manawatu there, which is fantastic. And like you said, you do all these other crazy cool things. Um, and I'm going to emphasize cool over crazy, um, which is pretty cool. For our listeners out there, um, technology is not, not, not our friend. So um, you're just going to see Tani and my faces if, you use, if you're watching on YouTube. But if you're on Spotify, it doesn't actually matter. So Ali, um, you, we just started saying that you were born and raised in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. So I was um, born um, in Pakistan uh, in a very small city called uh, on the eastern side, uh, very close to the Afghan border. In a place called uh, Quetta, in a city called Quetta. Um, so my though my family originally comes from Afghanistan, they had to um, refu- take um, refuge um, from uh, Afghanistan to, into Pakistan. The first the term of the Taliban takeover in the early 19, uh, 1990s that um, that happened. So especially me uh, being from Hazara ethnicity, we have yes. been part of a lot of uh, ethnic genocide. Um, in, in, in Afghanistan, being one of the ethnic minorities, so my, uh, so my, uh, the parents of my, um, of my uh, parents uh, and their respective family had decided to move out of Afghanistan for the safety. Um, so yeah, so they moved to um, uh, Pakistan, and yeah, in the 2000s, uh, I was born in in Pakistan. Yeah. Oh well, I mean that would have been uh, such a such an interesting um, life story for your for your grandparents and your parents to live in the, in that time. And I guess they would have shared the story with you as you were growing up and um so growing up in pakistan um how long were you living in, in that in that particular province for in that state there before you moved to new zealand um so yeah i, I was born in Quetta and lived the first 15 years of my life in pakistan and then when i was 15 i moved to new zealand about seven years ago from now awesome cool and um do you want to do you want to tell our listeners uh, myself and tanya about life in pakistan what what is that like for you because and um, you can do a great comparison of you know what it's like yeah sure um so when i was um in pakistan i was born quite in a lot of probably deep poverty um yeah we didn't have much to be honest what i could remember um i think my earliest memories were like half of the room that we had rented was not covered in the in 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 the coldest of winter so um, so yeah, the, when I reflect back on my childhood, I think the only thing is like lack of resources uh, that the only thing yeah. comes to my mind. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, and then yeah, so uh, and yeah, um, but yeah, life was got better as I grew up. Um, yeah, um, there was kind of part of things. Um, there was uh, saying the festival that if you live in the in a among people that has got the same kind of status as you, it doesn't feel make you feel like like David. But yeah, okay. um, but yeah, uh, but uh, when I was probably a child, like there's a story on um, my cricket and the passion of sports that has grown up into me. Um, when I was about two or three years old, I won a cricket bear to a lottery scheme. Oh wow! And and as soon as I picked up the the cricket bear, I absolutely fell in love with the sport. Uh, so yeah. And yeah, I still remember like being a child and as soon as school being finished, me being in the streets of Pakistan playing cricket all day. Uh, so that's been kind of my journey, like my kind of sweet memories that I could remember is just playing and smashing cricket balls uh, in, in my childhood. So that is yeah, uh, very sweet kind of memories of, of my childhood that I have um, uh, had. Uh, so yeah, in Pakistan, 
Um, I used to go to school um, and yeah, life was better until uh, I got about the age of 10. So, so in, in, when we were living in Pakistan, my, my father couldn't work in Pakistan. So he had to go to Afghanistan because he was not a Pakistan citizen. Um, so he had to go to Afghanistan, his home country to work. Um, when I was 10 years old, he just disappeared one day um, out of the blues. Uh, he just, yeah, we, we lost contact with him. And yeah, we just found him last last year, uh, last year August, when the, when the Taliban uh, took over over the country. Apparently, he was in a prison somewhere oh, um, no. in, in 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 that part of the world. So yeah, so so as a so I'm the eldest um, sibling of my family. All the responsibilities came on on me. Um, yeah, so life got tougher for for the next five years. As a, as a ten year old, I've got the responsibility of the family. So yeah, I'm, I I was going to school and then I and then I used to go to work in the evenings, all evenings, and I did like a number of, of work from constructions to to working in a shampoo factory to working in in a, in a wide um, variety of places. So yeah, um, at that said, life got um, quite. Um, when I was yeah uh, after ten years old, but but yeah but yeah I still had the, the kind of the privilege of having good education in Pakistan, but still uh, being one of the ethnic minorities, life was very very tough. There was no jobs, there was no directions in the Gaza. So the year that I came to New Zealand, actually, I was asked that I would not be able to continue my education because uh, so in Pakistan after the when you get to year nine, everything becomes centralized. So the yes. central governments do all of the exams and everything towards the year. And and yeah, and I was told um, that um, I can't get further education because I'm not a citizen of Pakistan. So um, so that was quite tough. The same year, luckily, uh, I'm not sure what I've been able to do because because I because life would have this the same year that I came to New Zealand. So there was, yeah, life in Pakistan as a refugee, as an Afghan refugee, is good. Definitely, is good. A lot of challenges that comes with it, um, and, and but yeah, there's been a lot of um, safety issues that comes to like I've lost um, three of my good friends to war um, in Pakistan. All of them have been quite young, so yeah. Uh, so there's got mixed kind of reactions of my like my upbringing in Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Shane. There's so there's so much to unpick and unpack in there. You know, um, living in living in New Zealand now, I guess. Um, I guess Tane. More specifically, this is this is a world that doesn't that that's a whole foreign concept to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I've had a few friends um, that have been through similar situations. Obviously, not to that extent because everybody's you know context is different. But yeah, it is always quite profound to actually hear these things and learn these things. And I think, especially for me, not having been overseas yet, um, it is quite eye-opening to hear these kinds of things. Yeah, so thank you, thank you, Ali. I just, I just want to want to step back a couple of things there. So, um, I think one of one of one of the things that made me smile was um, the the cricket bat. I mean, um, that that's a pretty cool thing. And you know, Pakistan and India and and now Afghanistan cricket is really, really, really blowing up there. And how does it make you feel now when you see the Afghanistan the Afghanistan team or the Pakistan team? I don't know. So, where do your where does your loyalties lie? This would be pretty hard for you, I guess. Or, you know, born in Afghanistan or have Afghanistan heritage lived in Pakistan, born in Pakistan, and now live in New Zealand. That would be a pretty interesting dilemma for you. It is. It is. And it's like, of course, different things. And at times you fell into like a sense of like the question of belonging. Where do you belong at times? So, um, yeah, I should be belonging 
whether I should be, whether I belong in the land of my grandfather and grandparents, but I've never been there That's or right. the land that I was born and grew up, but it doesn't give me the rights of citizenship and my experiences hasn't been great. Or do I call New Zealand home that I've been living here and he's given me all of the privileges, but neither, neither I was born here or neither I had, neither my parents or my grandparents were born here. So this is the dilemma that many refugee young people that um, that kind of experience. Um, there was one young guy that I had, I was chatting with. I think he was about 16, 17. In this short 16 or 17 years of his life, he had been in five different countries as a refugee, oh. as a Czech refugee. So, so that's kind of the dilemma that a lot of refugee people do encounter uh, on a, on a quite on a, on a, on a lot of basis, but. In terms of cricket, um, I don't know. Like, it depends who is who playing. So if Pakistan, if Pakistan and India is playing, I would like to go to Pakistan. And if it depends who are you playing, if Pakistan and New Zealand are playing, like they came here a couple of years ago and I was in FA, I was like, now nah, I'm now a Kiwi, now I'm going to support the New Zealand team with all of my merits. And then as soon as I go to the ground and, and halfway through the game I changed for some reason my heart just sometimes there's kind of the dilemma that you kind of encounter uh, at times but it depends the context and who are you playing the times yeah no it's it's so it's so hard but you know at the end of the day you know it's it's just it's just great that sport can bring these things together you know for for different reasons and then um at the age of 10 I I I don't we don't have to go into this too deeply but um when you when your father disappeared, I mean, you said you're the oldest of your siblings. How many siblings do you have? So I've got two younger brother and a younger sister, and there's four of us. Yeah. Okay, four of you. And then and then dad, your your father disappeared. That would have been how? So how long did you did you have to wait? I guess before you realized, okay, something was not okay. Was it just one day, or was it a couple of days, or? Um. Yeah. So um, we used to, my mother. I used to com um, communicate with him every day almost. So, like, we didn't hear him for one day. I thought he might be busy. Second day, third day, we got really worried um, yeah. that something might have happened. There's Afghanistan, there's quite an unsafe country. A lot of stuff happens. And then one week later, my one of my uncles, uh, who's now living with us here in New Zealand, he used to work in another city called Kabul, the capital. Yes. Uh, though my father used to work in Herat. So, um, so he, so we asked him to come over, go to Herat and look for him. And he, then he went to Herat, or he went to Herat and searched for him two weeks. Uh, we called all of the people that he was used to work in. Nobody had any clue. Um, yeah, um, but, uh, like where he was. We tried for almost one, uh, like, uh, like a month, and it became two months, became six months, became a year. Um, yeah, we tried everything, called everyone in Afghanistan that we knew that could, could help us. Um, we were quite young. I was 10, so I couldn't go to Afghanistan with it being so unsafe. So, um, yeah, it was, and yeah, my mother couldn't because there was three, four of us being very young and she couldn't yes. travel to Afghanistan to find my father. So, yeah, um, so we tried for almost a year to two and then we just left it to the fact that something might have um happened to him and probably he's not anymore uh, among us in the world yeah. so yeah so that was very hard to kind of oh, take in um yeah and then you found him last year i mean that would have been a such an amazing feeling for you 
Yeah. Uh, but a sweet, I guess. Um, so my mother was watching of this. Um, yeah, my mother was watching um, um, a video clip from Kabul Afghanistan. Um, and then he found my father giving an interview to one of the local medias. Oh wow! Uh, and then he and she and then she recognized him. And then yeah, yeah. So this kind of the story, I could I could write a book on this. So yeah, um, so yeah, so we managed to find him through that. And then we contacted the news and Red Cross, the Palmy office, in regards to if we could really could find him uh, where he is in Afghanistan. Um, they were uh, very helpful in that. Uh, we farm team uh, in regards to his location, we were managed to um, get his contact details in Afghanistan um, and then we contacted him. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was quite great um, yeah, to have the connection back uh, to a massive part of my childhood, um, yeah, yeah without, without having a, a parent, so, yeah, so, yeah. That's that's really really special, and thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, that's that you can't really put that into words what that must feel like. And um, so, but now you were the at the at ten years old, you were the, um, the I guess the main man in the house. And I guess, like you said before, it's it's the world that you're living in at that time. And how did that feel for you? Like in, basically, in two days, in in a, in a short space of time, your your childhood changed dramatically. Yeah, um, yeah. So we didn't had a lot of fun. So as you might be aware, in, in that part of the world, a lot of people don't have a lot of financial stability. Yes. Just people live on their day and nights, for example. So, 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 for example, my father used to send us income of every month, um, and it stopped overnight. Uh, yep. So we didn't have any income. My mother starts working in people's homes. Uh, I had to work three or four different places while also getting education. Um, yeah, um, so yeah, life became very tough. I couldn't focus on my education while I was working in three different places. Uh, uh, couldn't continue doing work for my, work for my patient playing cricket. Um, so yeah, overnight it became very, very tough. Um, but yeah, but but it kind of also took away my childhood at times when I think, and a lot of people ask me, like, I say, like, I'm like, how old are you? I'm saying, like, 20, 21, 22. And people's like, wow, you, you look so mature um, you, of your age. And that's kind of the, the five years of my life taught me a lot of stuff that I probably had gained like 20 years of experience within five years. Um, so, yeah, so though life was tough, but it definitely gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of stuff within a very short space of time. Yeah, and, and I like you mentioned that because there's a, uh, there's a quote that I like, like I would like to mention when people talk about age. You know, if someone says, oh, when you get older, you get wiser. I, I disagree with that. I think your experiences make you wiser. You know, your age doesn't make you wiser. You know, you could be old and living in the same place and have no experiences that doesn't make you wiser. But like you said, like yourself, your last, basically your whole life has been an experience and you've just, become wiser and wiser in different in different contexts so you know that's a great a great way that you put that there and um so i guess ali so you you're now the man of, you're the man of the house i guess you you're living this life because you have to do it it's, it's not about can i or should i it's you have to do it because you have to you have to um, help help your family survive day to day tell me when so at the age of 15 when did this when did the process of you looking to come to new zealand happen and how and why new zealand of all places in the world i guess 
Uh, it didn't start when I was 15, actually. So yeah. it started about when I was, I think, um, 13. So, yeah. so, so we went to UNCHR to put an application through to get us out of um, deep poverty and struggles, to be honest, and, and help us get into research in uh, better countries. Yeah. So, so, that, so when my mother put an application in early, I think, 2013, um, um, to the UN office and Quetta, Pakistan, and then and then kind of the journey started, and we used to go and give interviews to the UN office for about almost once every month for oh, three wow. years. Um, and when you're a refugee, you're never given an option of where do you want to move. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's always you're told that you're moving to this country. Yeah. Um, so you're either moving, like, so there are not a lot of countries. So you, there's a, you're either going to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, or the US. Um, yeah. So there are the four countries that accept refugees uh, or uh, back, back in the days. So, so we were luckily selected uh, into New Zealand. And then, yeah, and we were um, given, uh, given um, acceptance of residence. Um, of New Zealand, I think in early 2015, uh, and then and then yeah, and then it, about um, October, come October, um, we were told that we are going to New Zealand. The story about that is quite funny as well. Um, um, they told us five days before we were coming oh, to wow. New Zealand that we are going to New Zealand, just five days. And two oh. of them are big public holidays in Pakistan, where everything is closed. So oh, no. yeah, so they ring us and saying like. Uh, hey, um, I think the date was the 22nd of September. It's like, hey, your flight is on the 29th of um, September. You must get to Islamabad by the 26th of September. And this is your, all of your flight details. Uh, and yeah, you are going to New Zealand within a week. Um, and yeah, and there was quite a experience in itself as well. I mean, how surreal is that? You know, and September the 21st, you're like living your life normally as you do. And then on September the 22nd, your life has changed again, just dramatically. That's correct. Yeah, um, I still remember that. Uh, I I didn't knew how what to feel um, because at one hand um, I knew that life was gonna get better, but on the other hand, like life was getting so changed. Like I couldn't meet all of my friends that I had, um, and I'm living all of this world that that has become so normal for me um, for the past five years of my life and. Um, and life had just started to settle for the past five years. And, and yeah, uh, but again, another big move, um, another heading to uh, another different part of the world that I have, I don't know much. The only few things that I know that it has a cricket team called the Black Caps. Uh, it's got a capital city called Wellington. And I know that there are two other cities like Christchurch and Wellington. That's all probably I know. And that's the thing that I knew that um, the firm in New Zealand is quite famous. So there's all of my kind of knowledge of New Zealand back in the day. Um, and then, yeah, and I didn't know what the people going to look like, whether people is going to accept us as refugees, um, how the education system like, whether I'll be able to play sports, the cricket. Uh, I knew that the cricket was available up here, but other sports and how people is going to be like. So, yeah, it was a lot of questions uh, on my mind, though I was, I knew that I would have a, access to education and work and all of those other sort of areas that I didn't necessarily had access in practice on. But at the same time, it was probably, but yeah, um, I was kind of, yeah, sad that I'm having to say goodbye to the life that I've had in the past 15 years within just one day. Uh.
yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, nothing can prepare you for it, right? You know, you, you, like you said, the last 15 years, you've lived your life and the last five years, your life was different. And essentially, you're, it's like you're moving to another planet. You have one day to move to another planet because like you said, you know nothing about it. All that you know is cricket, the Blackburn, Wellington, maybe, and then you just move. Um, so did you know which city you're moving to? Did they tell you where you're moving to? Um, not until I got to New Zealand. So I think, so when you come to New Zealand, every person that comes through the refugee quota yes. must stay at the refugee Mangri, uh, the refugee receiving center in Mangri, Auckland. So you yes. must stay there for six weeks where they will take you through all of orientations and everything. Uh, I think this was, I think, our week two or week three of us. And we were told that, um, they have got us a house in Palmas North, and and back in the day, I'd never heard the name. I couldn't even pronounce the word Palmas North um, um, properly. So then we were told that we are heading into this um, city. Um, yeah, and yeah, um, there was kind of uh, only two questions that are like, just is there any schools and whether is there any cricket opportunities in Palmas North? That's the only two questions that I asked my case manager um, uh, at the Refugee Mongery Center, and they said. Yeah, yeah, both of them you will have plenty of opportunities to, uh, and and yeah, my life was bright. And you know, so when I still reflect on those, yes, I think there was, a, and I still the person that I met again. I think she saw a kind of a bright in my eyes as soon as I, she said yes, and there was a brightness in my eyes, and there was a smile on her face. Then she still can't remember. Uh, she's yeah, she still cannot forget uh, to this day. So yeah, um, that was enough for me. And uh, to be honest, yeah. So beautiful, you know. I mean, when when the chips are down, it's the two things: education and sport. You know, that's all that that you're worried about. That that brought me to another question. Um, your English. Did you learn in English in Pakistan, or was it Urdu or Hindi? And how did you pick? What did you learn English? Um, so I can speak in a series of languages. So yes, my mother tongue, my my mother tongue is Dari. Um, so it's it's very close to Farsi, so I can yes. understand and speak Farsi as well. And then, yeah, and um, grew up in Pakistan, going to school in Pakistan, Urdu was the main language. So I learned Urdu on the way as well. And Urdu in Hindi is quite similar. We watch a lot of you know, like Bollywood and this is Indian movies. So I can understand Hindi quite well as well. And yeah, and then yeah, with the story with English was um, Pakistan is, uh, as you know, is an English colonized country. So it's not a way of communication though. It's a, it's a way of your, social state at the time. So everyone in Pakistan loves to uh, and learn to um, uh, want to speak English. So, uh, so yeah, so I used to um, learn English in, uh, uh, in school. And then there was other English language centers that uh, I, I think I started going when I was nine and then I'd never stopped until I was, I think, 14 maybe. Uh, and that's where I learned the, the language of English, yeah. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And it's, it's so so crazy when you can speak lots of languages or your brain just works in such different ways in the different languages. Can I ask you a question? When you landed in New Zealand, what 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 did you and your family feel? So you land, obviously a big flight, you landed Auckland Airport. What did you feel? I think from what I could remember was a sense of kind of safety, um, that we are going to be safe. Um, because in Pakistan, like you, like you cannot say like you, if you're going to work today, you will come back safe home alone. So there was kind of a sense of safety, like everything being so peaceful. There was kind of the first thing that of my instant reaction to things were like, how peaceful is this country uh, where you don't see police with arms, with guns alongside the streets. Uh, so there was really 
um, uh, like first memories and also how clean you see on this. Uh, um, so like the sense of cleanliness. I still remember when I was got out of the plane and I was getting through the terminal and looking around myself and, and, and also the cleanliness and also the how humble and how nice the people are. Um, and like, like I've experienced like the immigration system in Pakistan and how tough this is um, in, over there and how uh, amazing and nice our immigration crew is here in New Zealand. The people are just lovely. Um, and yeah, and so, um, so that was kind of my first in, uh, instant reaction of getting into New Zealand, yeah. Oh, well, great. So, and I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy when you come from a place where seeing, seeing guns and seeing police that are armed and people that treat you differently to a place where it's, where it's totally different. So now you, um, you, you moved to Palmerston North. What's, what school did you, I mean, how was the schooling transition for you? Um, school was tough. So um, school was really, really tough, to be honest. So I come uh, from, a, from a culture where we, we, where we treat our teachers as our second parents. Yes. But in New Zealand, I couldn't find that. There was not that element of respect for our teachers uh, here at school. Um, and, and I really struggled with that. Um, and then, and then also the sense of fitting in. Um, I started really feeling whether I could feel I could fit into the culture, and and I, I couldn't. I couldn't fit well into the culture of uh, school life here in New Zealand, uh, which led me to a lot of mental health issues. Oh, you won't um, um, experience this, but when I came to New Zealand, I was about 59 kgs, and within a year's time, I went from 59 to 106 kgs. Oh wow! Um, in terms of weight. So they, I had a lot of struggles. Um, I used to, uh, like somebody introduced me to the world of fast food that I've never heard of, uh, and then uh, just became crazy. Came by three times a meal. Um, I used to drink like two liters of V every night and didn't sleep until 4 a.m. in the morning. Uh, Infected big time my uh, education here. And and yeah, um, so I used to really struggle in my first two years of uh, being here in New Zealand, just the sense of like whether I, I just couldn't fit in uh, in part of the culture here. I tried my best. Uh, the schooling system was not good enough to cater into my needs. We were classed um, as different. Um, like we had a international, like we had a department only for refugee people, uh, and people who are not of the department looked at us quite badly. To be honest, at times that was kind of my first reaction, and we I felt like I'm lesser than others to be honest and that sense still kills me to be honest like um though my like to be honest, i was probably i was doing good in terms of academic when i came out i was good in maths i was good in science but they like i was good in english and i they treat us differently I, I, they treat us lesser and and that, and i'm kind of person that likes to excel in everything whenever i put my hand into anything i kind of excel um, and then they put in, us in a different basket and still to this oh, wow. day I really struggled with it uh, so until my schooling life here was tough so uh, so I did my year 11 NCA level one and NCA level two and I just left um, school and then and when I was doing my year 12 I went I'm not sure um, whether it also happens across the country or not there's a um, um, uh, youth skills program uh, that you can go to um, a polytech uh, for one day a week uh, and then and so and so I, I went to UCOL um, I, I, I guess part of the schooling program and, and then I still loved it like the sense of independence uh, more respect for your lecturers for your teachers and, and then in the sense of yeah I, I, I'm a big fan of independence learning uh, and yeah you just 
give me the task and tell me, like, you must do it by this day and this day. I will ensure I will submit this a week in advance to you. And that, that kind of environment, I kind of excel well in it. So, and then as soon as I did that, and then I said, no, I'm not going to do my NCA level three at school. I left school, um, did my level three uh, and level four courses at UCOL. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, and then pursued my degree uh, and now I'm doing my master's. So, yeah. Well, what a, what a, what a crazy journey! There. I mean, there's so much there to to talk about. There, you know, um, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's so crazy because you live this lifestyle that you know in um in Pakistan, and then you come to a new country, and straight away the challenges are trying to, not it's not trying to fit in because it's it's not about fitting; it's about being being treated differently, you know. And um, it's quite sad because humans, all of us, do this. You know, we 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 like we like the idea of of inviting different people into our world. But when they actually come in, we go, oh, we start to be people, people differently, like they're not the same. And one thing I'd like to, I'd like to share with you is um, I work with lots of refugee students across the country. And um, one thing they always tell me is when we go to schools, they they treat us like we're dumb because we don't understand the language. You know, I have one person who, who, who like you, he's very, he's super smart in sciences, but he was put into a lower, lower class because they said to him, oh, you don't understand English, so therefore you should be in a lower class. And I think that's not fair because it's not it's not your fault that English is not your strong language, but the sciences shouldn't. Um, I mean, you're a, you're an academic, you're a smart person that shouldn't dictate how you go. So I'm sorry that you've experienced that, and I'm sorry that lots of people still still experience it. And hopefully that that changes as we as we invite and accept more 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 people of diversity into into New Zealand. Um, but what I also wanted to ask you about is, did you when you came from Pakistan to New Zealand, did you we did you go from a single gender school to a co-gender school or did you go from single sex to single sex yeah um so yeah um from single sex to um to co-gender school um yes. there was massive shift as well um yes yeah yeah because i can understand because that's a big difference as well you know um and i and i when i i did my I, i'm from zimbabwe and the one thing I, I like to reflect with you is when I was growing up in Zimbabwe, also teachers were treated with lots of respect. You know, they were, like you said, like your, your, your parents over here, then teachers are basically the same line, essentially, or just the line below. But um, when I came to New Zealand, I found it was very different that teachers are not treated the same. So I empathize with that. So, but that's awesome that you decided to, to go to UCOL. What did you do? So you did UCOL for two years and then you decided to go to university. Um, what did you study? Yeah, um, so actually I did um, four years at UCOL, so I did um, my year one was just level three and level four, and then I did my three years of a degree at UCOL. So, oh, wow. um, so in my undergraduate, I studied um, exercise and wellness, uh, awesome. applied science, but also my major was in sport and recreation management. Yes. And then, yeah, and now um, I'm doing my master's in management, uh, in, yeah, um, in organization management, yeah. Awesome, great. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna shift focus now because um, one of the reasons why I really love your story, apart from all this other cool stuff here, is you came here and you realized that there's not there was there was a bit of a gap for young people getting involved in sports. Do you want to talk about that? You know what you got involved in, how you got involved in that? Yeah, um, as always that I've reflected on, there are a lot of inequalities um, within our refugee communities, like the. The sense of capitalism and a lot of our young people really miss on that and then from what i reflect on when they miss out on a lot of stuff when they are younger that affects them when as they go if they are missing out a lot of stuff in primary school they will start missing out a lot on secondary schools and the university life and career life i've seen that pattern a lot within a lot of 
uh, refugee people. Um, so yeah, when I reflect back, uh, when I was last year, when I looked myself around, I was, I was the only refugee person that was playing sports. Um, and yeah, I was doing well, but I tried to, I, when I tried to engage with other young people and ask them to come to play sports, man, nobody was. Um, to be honest, I couldn't really find why my peers, my fellow peers don't want to play um, sports alongside me. So, um, in, uh, for, my, uh, for my background, so, and then and I deep down, I uh, looked at quite a lot of stuff and I found out there was a lot of barriers, a lot of issues um, that stopping a lot of refugee young people to play in playing sports um, and taking part in other social opportunities. So, uh, and then, yeah, and I did small kind of research and I really came, came out and really find out that um, essentially like the likes of financial constraints and transport and language, as well as the fear of judgment is really stopping people, a, a lot of our young people playing and taking on, on different opportunities. And so I, I, I decided to kind of change that kind of perspective and, and, uh, and bring a kind of a, a small project of around 30 young people, bring them together, have them enjoy them, and just all, all from refugee background, give them an opportunity to try out different sports. Um, and then, yeah, um, and then that was kind of the, kind of the, my idea and thinking was around and grew up something really big and something that I didn't expect it. We almost had 45 different young people that we connected with throughout the eight weeks. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, and uh, Sport Manor too stepped up and they provided us with all the equipment and they provided us with funding so we could um, help young people um, have transport uh, and that we can provide them with a meal when they finish of their training sessions. And, and, and then it was really good. And it was also a great sense of community. Everyone was chipping in and trying to play their part. Um, for example, the minority standard said like we're going to do like a media report to have more young people out there to connect them and let them know this project exists so we can invite more young people to come along. Um, you called their part and um, Sport Minority did the part, council stepped up and did. So it was really, really cool that all of our communities coming together and supporting one project. Um, and so it was really, really lovely. But yeah, um, so they're kind of that was kind of my idea. And now it's great that almost 70% of young people that came along to the project now playing some sort of um, sports for their schools, et cetera. And the other thing was uh, a lot of young people knew there was sports available in New Zealand, but they didn't know how to exist them. They didn't yeah. know there was sports coordinators available in schools. Um, they didn't know that how to contact clubs. So there was a lot of uh, barriers and like, like they were stopping um, these young people so I engaged them with the sports coordinators at school and find out like how they can find out uh, solve the financial concerns through the AP system which they didn't know and, and other issues and transport and how we could use best the public transporters out there and to, to get these young people um, to and from their games when they are playing sports etc so that was kind of some of my work that I was able to do last year yeah that's fantastic so um and 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 so for you what what is this what is the moment for you realize actually this is not okay so you know before you started this when when did you realize wait a minute this is not okay I need to find out what's going on um yeah uh, I think it was probably March of 2021 actually um and and to be honest, I because my my family is quite big into sports. All of my siblings play sports, and 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 when I looked around, and I said, especially I looked at some of the young people and that came to New Zealand were fun and healthy. Now 
they're obese. Um, these young people, you can see, has got all have become so big over here. So, so that was kind of like an instant, like why a lot of people are suffering from different health issues. Um, so there was kind of a, like, and then I did um, kind of small did a small research in our Afghan community that who um, who is playing sports, and it came out that not a lot of people do. Um, so so there was kind of realization that like what what's wrong like why a lot of our young people are not playing sports so there was probably around march april of 2021 yeah oh wow um so that, that, that's great great awareness because you know if you if, you, if i like to and there's another saying that i have it's awareness proceeds change so the fact that you saw this awareness and you saw it was needed that's pretty awesome and then was there any was there any um barriers for you you know there's bar you spoke about barriers for your for your um for your colleagues and your peers were there any barriers for you to, to set this up um massive barriers so so like, so the, the first problem the first major barrier was how to contact with these young people so most of the young people really lived in a lot of isolation so how i could get the word out so that was a massive challenge so um, so I think, uh, like, to be honest, like, uh, like the way you do marketing for other communities, it's not going to work for refugee communities. It's not just good enough to put a poster up on the social media and expect people to turn up. It's not, not ever going to work like that way. So, uh, so I, so I teamed up with a team at uh, Red Cross, so the Palmerston Red Cross office, and they were fantastic. Um, and we, uh, so I got all the contacts for young people. We went all knocked in people's doors and asked whether we could have a small career with them. And we asked them to fill a form and give them information. So there was a massive barrier um, that I um, just just making the aware, making the young people aware of the program. Uh, and the other ones was uh, probably uh, financial side of things and and how to. But there was not a big one. Um, I always knew that if I had to start something, people would turn up. There was a lot of people, a lot of generous businesses and there's a lot of fun providers they are there in, in our city in our country so there was never an issue I knew that I, I would find my way out of that way and also the third part was COVID um, and the, also with a lot of inconsistencies with COVID coming in and then we are having we are going in orange and green or back then it was probably level three and two and one so the, and so actually the, the first week that I was supposed to start we went into level three so I couldn't really do anything. And, and then we tried Zoom. So we tried having one a week engagement with these young people and trying to say like how these young people are feeling. And we did small emotional sort of sessions in regards to kind of support these young people get through some of the tough times that's currently happening. So, and then two weeks later, we were able to have the, the, the project in person going on. Yeah, going. Oh, wow, crazy, you know. Um... I always ask I'll ask about barriers because um, you know when we when we do when we do any project in life it's, it's, it's never easy and especially a project that means something it's never easy and it's always easy to give up and go this is way too hard but obviously this is not that's not your attitude so that's pretty pretty awesome that you that you did that um, and and what sports do you cover when when you um, do this, this program is it all sports or do, do they get to choose their sports how does it work so it was um, multi-sports and um, the multi-sports games where you just throw a ball up in the air and there's two teams playing. So there was, I think we tried about 12, 10 to 12 different sports. So we went from cricket, to hockey, to basketball, to netball and uh, to um, yeah, wide variety of sports that we tried. Um, so it was, it was about 10 to 12 different sports throughout the eight weeks. And we also did recreation sessions like orienteering and we went for a hike. So we did 
try different stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. And and how's the up has the uptake increased now? You know, it's been almost a year, actually more than a year now. Do you see? Do you see it growing? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I we like um. Yeah. Um. There was kind of a pilot program that stopped. There was an eight weeks pilot program. Um. And yeah, still I could see people like asking me whether I could return. And and I've got a lot of ideas in regards to like rolling out some few new things. And I'm definitely gonna. Um, roll a few new things. Um, yeah, I think it's probably the first place that I'm going to announce that awesome. I've created um, a small uh, organization that support will support young people in one or two. Yes, so there's something that I've got a lot of um, sports for, and also sports and arts and different ways I could support our young people. And yeah, and there's something a lot, I've got a lot of ideas coming up in the next few months to come. Yeah. Awesome. Did you find that? Did you find that once you started this program that your your peers now started to get involved in the main in mainstream stuff as well, or do they still stick within the refugee community? As I say, like almost like seventy percent of the forty five percent that we had now playing sports are there in the community, which Brilliant. is awesome. So they're playing for the schools, for the clubs, uh, which is uh, which is uh, which is excellent in my perspective. Um, um, yeah, and just giving them uh, opportunity to integrate with the wider community um, and get them out of their out of the, the zone of technology and being a lot in isolation. So there is now, like, you know, I'm feeling, um, feel quite pleased about that, uh, reflecting back on then and, and the progress that we have been able to make now, yeah. That's awesome. And we're going to go back to reflection. So I'm reflecting because you mentioned something earlier on there that within a year, you, you basically doubled your weight, essentially. And how did you, when did you realize this is a problem? When did you go, this is not okay for me? Because, I mean, you obviously look young and you look so healthy now. What what did you do to, to shift that for you for yourself? Um, I might share a story that might have you laughing. Yeah, go on, share, so, share, share um, story. So, <laughs> so in 2017, um, somebody um, told me to become a, ref a referee in football. So and you will get some pocket money and some opportunity to get some exercise in. So I went to my first training session, and there were some of my the people that are now my mentors, um, likes of Matthew Conger and Mark Hull, who are FIFA World Cup referees, has been to World Cups, has been to Commonwealth. Um, and yeah, and, and I remember like going for like, they were going for a warm up, like a couple of um, rounds of the ground. And I did that as a warm up and I couldn't move my body. I was out of breath, no. to be honest. I, and, and, and I just went into the changing room shed and just kind of, laid down and then while they were training for the whole hour and I just couldn't move my belly. I, I, I was short of breath and there was a kind of the warm up for them. Uh, so there was kind of quite a hard reflection and there was like who the person I've become now in comparison who the person I was when I came to New Zealand and I've, I've become lazy, I've had become unmotivated, I've become so much and there was kind of like slap in the face sort of moving to where I felt like uh, it's not good. I need to change myself. Um, and that was kind of the, the, the hard, hard movement. Um, and I feel there was, I'm quite pleased about that movement, to be honest, because um, I was quite happy to go on down onto the journey of being an unconfident, lazy, unmotivated young person, um, didn't, didn't care about how life was. Uh, yeah, that was kind of a very, very, I think, tough movement, but also. In reflection now, probably one of the most beautiful moments, um, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Those, those humbling moments are the moments where either two, either one of two things happens. Either you, you go, oh, cool, this is my life, 
or you go, I need to change my life. You know, that's, that's, I, that's the way I look at it. You know, all of us come to a place in our lives where we get humbled. You know, when you fail a test or when someone says no to you, or in your case, you couldn't finish the warm up, and then you decided mm-hmm. actually I need to change this. So that's, that's really awesome. And how did, you, how did you change? What did you do? Did you just pick this up? You know, because it's not easy, right? It's, it's not an easy, you just wake up the next day and you become mm-hmm. fit all of a sudden. Um, what, is your, what is your journey there? Um, so, yeah, so um, as I said, my mentors, um, like so Matthew Conger and Mark Hull, like really supporting me throughout the journey in terms of providing like all sort of support. Uh, I still remember like they were doing light training just to support me, just to ensure that I feel I'm doing a lot during the training session. So reflecting back in the words, how inclusive they were in the way we were trained together. And, and if I would have missed the session, they would have texted me, hey, Ali, where are you? You don't came to the training today. Um, so that kind of support really kind of like, and I felt like I'm letting people down if I didn't go into trainings. Um, and then, yeah, and then I started refereeing football on the weekends. And yeah, so, yeah, and I became I was really enjoying it um, by the end of my first season that I refereed football. And, and I looked at my, around my peers and a lot of people are, have got really good opportunities with refereeing football. People are refereeing the national league stage, and um, people are going out of city, out of country to referee football. And I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and then, and I decided I, I'm going to be like one day, like hopefully refereeing the national league. And that was kind of my motivation. I started like training like five, seven days a week. I used to train by myself, and just like I had the vision of like me myself kind of refereeing in a national league game and and that was kind of my whole kind of moments that I was kind of thinking throughout. Um, and then, yeah, I, so I started training quite hard. I was quite, my training was once at one point quite intense that I had shin splints, which oh, wow. I was out of training for four months almost. Yeah, so I was I was really, really pushed. I was really, really, um, and at times I was like kind of running right in like almost like 10 o'clock at night. People would think like I'm crazy to be honest. And I was just like, doing like trains by myself at times, but early mornings, I was doing like all like stairs and everything. And I could find any reason that I could be active um, that I tried. Um, yeah, so that was kind of a kind of changing moments. And then I still remember like, when, so we have a fitness test and you had to do like 40 repetitions. I still remember like when I did my first year, when I had my first attempt, I could do only one. And I still could remember like, almost two years ago that I could like do everything like quite easily like 40 of them without no problems and and since so there was quite a, like kind of like kind of relieving moment and yeah last year when I met my debut in our national women's league competition uh, there was quite a there was quite a quite a pleasing moment like two minutes when we were going out for respect program also reflecting uh, on my journey and the hard work that I put in there almost I felt like a I had, I'm going to burst into tears almost when I was referring, like there was a, the game, the game was about to start, but there was a lot of things going into my mind and, and, but yeah, um, that was kind of the journey. The journey was definitely not easy to end by any means, but, but I, but one thing that I had, I had very good people around me and the people that pushed me, that inspired me, that motivated me, that I still do to this day, to be honest. Um, so I, in that regard, I've been quite lucky to be honest. That's fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm not surprised by by this because um, you know, your whole story has shown that you have drive to do the best for yourself but also for other people. So, you know, um the fact that you've done this is is is, is amazing, but it's also not a not a surprise if that makes sense. And I can imagine that the, the moment you were like, Hey, this is your, your debut, it would have been such a 
because it's not just it's not just the fact that you're a referee it's the fact that you're in a new country and everything just changed for you so um how amazing but also you know we spoke about we spoke about how school was pretty tough um to try and fit in but then if we reverse that and go actually wait a minute the community was amazing and supportive you know so i mean young people are, are terrible sometimes you know in schools people are silly but the community was backing you and you had amazing support which is which is the only way we grow when you have that that support which is which is fantastic um so you're doing all this there and then now you've also decided to do a master's program and we know master's is not not very easy um what 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 inspired you to do what is your drive to do a master's um to be honest uh, when i was at school here in new zealand and and i kind of laughed with one of my teacher aides that I'm, one day i'm going to do my phd and i would have the like doctor beside my name and and she laughed and she told me that i would never be able to go to university and oh, wow. i'm not i'm never good enough uh, to go to university so that was kind of very tough moment and i like to take in and i feel like oh again i just refugee people can't go to university in this so there was a instant question that came to my moment like would i be able to go to like university after i finish school and what what happens after that and so the, so i so there was still kind of sticks with me still to this day that i could remember uh and yeah and um that was kind of my drive and last year when i finished my undergrad and and then yeah i know you know i'm saying that i had no intention to my phd and put myself into education but but no um but I just i felt like when I did my undergrad and i felt like uh management was something that i was really passionate about you know learning more about leadership and how to um working organizations and those sort of areas really fascinated with my undergraduate and then and then i looked at master's program available here at mass university and with just one year's uh program i said yeah i'm just going to do it i'm just going to have one more year of education and then then hopefully i'll be working um, in 2023 so that is kind of what kind of inspired me to um uh, kind of do start my uh, master's program yeah Uh, awesome and hey who knows you might have dr ali muhammad who knows it might happen you have no idea it might happen right <laughs> so that that's oh, how crazy you know um, ali is really funny um and, and a lot of our, a lot of our guests that have been on this podcast have said a similar thing that somebody at school either said to them that no you're not going to go to university or someone has said hey you should go to university and it's so crazy how that's just a total moment for people um you know what language matters and people say is is really quite crazy so i'm i'm glad that you didn't take that to heart and you're um you're actually smashing smashing so many goals in life at the moment which is really cool um and um i guess we've been talking for almost over an hour now and i don't want to keep you but your story is so is so fascinating so i guess um and and what has it been like for your family you know so we're speaking we've spoken about you what has it been like for your family to transition into living in a in a whole new world essentially for your mom's perspective i guess because you know for young people it's a bit it's a little bit easier but for older people it's but might be a bit harder yeah um yeah like for all of us it's different journey like my youngest sibling when he came to new zealand he was seven um so his, his journey has been quite i would say the word smooth but different yeah which was different for me um and probably the same for of my other younger siblings and also it was probably tougher for my mother so going off from community where she is good at language she understands the culture well um 
she can practice her religion quite freely and and then from all of this all of this to going to a different country um, where she can't understand a single thing but she doesn't have any knowledge of the culture or the people or the people how the people is going to react to us um, so I assume it might be the hardest for her and going to a country where one you don't have any of the language but also at the same time um, um, you don't have anyone that you know uh, you are completely going into a country that you even don't have a single relative into so, so I can assume um, yeah and I think our first six months was quite tough we didn't knew anyone so we just stayed at home um, yeah and there was once in a while that we had someone from our Afghan community just come and say hi for half an hour and have tea and then we'll go back and yeah so I think first six months 12 months um, it was yeah it was definitely tough until we managed to find networks managed to find people and understand the system because the system in New Zealand for can be very hard and can be very rough at times as well in regards to everything that how does the IRD and MSD and everything works and and those are going from one agency to the other agency and and so uh, so for her I assume was pretty hard in terms of understanding how does the bank system works for example to be honest like before coming to New Zealand we never knew how does an ATM work exactly. so was three times for, for, for example like three times you put our like kind of our bank card into the ATM machine and never came back because I think we pressed the wrong button or something and and and, and there was like we got a lot of stories like that um, which is quite funny so but yeah just like settling into a system where it's so foreign to us we come quite a from for example from a cash society where we deal everything in cash to coming to New Zealand where everything is not cash to be honest like everything predominantly in FCOS and and on online systems where yeah and not having understand for example i'd never use or i'd never use a lot of internet in pakistan and when we come into new zealand everything's become um, technology become yeah. everything digital so um so just settling in uh, from her as well like she went to this english language classes and she had to learn english which was immensely tough but language english language is hard for young people yeah. to learn but it's also extremely hard for older generations to learn and yeah and now um she is working as a cleaner in the school here in Palmy, but she's quite fine and yeah and yeah kind of, and she is has got enough language that she can go to supermarkets and and yeah i'm quite proud of her actually that she decided to work this year and, and she because she wants to give back to the community that has given her though she don't have to um because of her language and cultural competency but here she has stepped up and said like now I'm going to work. Um, so I've studied. I went to school six years in New Zealand, and I'm just, I'm going to go work this year. So yeah, which is it's pretty cool as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's I mean, it's so awesome that your mom has done that because, like you like you said, you know, the younger you are, the easier things. I mean, when I say easier, it's in inverted commas, but you know, it's it's a bit smoother as you said before. But as as you get older, it's you know, learning becomes hard. Um, changing the way you've lived your life becomes much harder. You know, I, I empathize with you when it comes to, to banks. Like I said, I came from Zimbabwe and it's a cash-based society. And I still remember when I was given my FPOS card, I was like, I don't know, I was like, I don't know what this is. And then I went to a shop and I paid for my first thing and I was and I was pressing all the wrong buttons and the lady looked at me like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is so foreign to me. Um, it's so crazy how, you know, um, you know, um, things are so different you know your, your cultural norms and your societal norms are so so different and like you said right at the start and i really like this that you don't know any different in the world that you live in 
So, you know, when you grew up in Pakistan, that was your world. You didn't know any different. And now when you live in New Zealand, that's your world. It's totally different. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And I think that's a good remembrance. Um, Ali, I mean, I, I could keep talking to you forever and ever and ever because I think you have a fantastic story. But I, I think we should probably start to wrap up the, this, this podcast. Um, and, you know, the, the, our podcast is called Bosses of Knowledge. And um, you've shared some amazing pieces of knowledge today. But the way we like to round off our podcast is basically to ask our guests if there's one piece of knowledge they'd like to share with their with our listeners, what would that be? If you have any piece of one piece of knowledge, um, a piece of knowledge I wouldn't say, but it's something that um, like if any of like refugee people are listening to to this, like I usually call New Zealand to be a land of opportunities, um, and I I I motive, I kind of I try to um, uh, try to send a message to all of our um, young people from refugee background that New Zealand is now our home um, and yeah and just like, kind of embrace New Zealand um, and then yeah and whether it's do your best whether it's education whether it's career um, and yeah um, and embrace New Zealand fully um, because we have no other form or to go back backwards just uh, yeah so yeah embrace New Zealand and yeah and, and kind of just, and, yeah, and I believe it's not good enough in New Zealand to be able to survive uh, we as refugee people must thrive and we need to find different ways to be able to thrive um so yeah and just i just want to kind of throw out to young refugee people especially young people that are there listening and just yeah um just like uh, yeah do do amazing mahi whether it's education work or arts or sports or anything that you're doing just give it your best and yeah and kind of inspire the next one to come yeah thank you Loved it. I mean, that's, a, that's so great. Right? Now, can I can I add to that? I think the other thing I want to add to that is, um, don't let the the title of refugee limit your limit what you do. And I think you know, um, like you said at the start, when people look at you as refugees, you're like, oh, people treat you as say second class citizens, or we're not the same. But I think you know, as I've seen from yourself and lots of other refugees that I've worked with, that it doesn't matter what your background is. If you have the drive as you do, and if you have the aspiration, you do the mahi. You can you can. You can create your own life, you know. Don't let your past dictate yeah, um, the way you are. Yeah, I sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no a quote that just came to my mind that I usually tell people is like, although being refugee is part of my identity, I've never allowed it to define me. Hundred percent. That I think that's a great great way to end this. Just because you're refugee, it's part of your identity, but it doesn't define who you are. That's a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic way to end. Ali, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. I know we could go into so many more more avenues and areas. Um, but uh, we might get you back on here another time. But thank you for all the hard work that you're doing in, in the Manawatu specifically, but um, hopefully this message goes out to other refugees around the country because I know there's, there's refugee communities all around New Zealand. Um, I know there's a lot in, in Vakagal. I was working with some that are from Colombia that are there. There's some, there's some Syrians in Dunedin. And um, so hopefully everyone that's listening to this podcast gets, gets some inspiration. But also if you're not a refugee, I hope you also get inspired by Ali's story here and what is what is done and achieved over the, the last few years. Ali, thank you so much. Um, to our listeners out there, um, let's thank Ali with a big round of applause. Yay. And um, and as always, we appreciate you listening out there and we feel free to jump on, share this podcast with whoever you want to and we'll catch you the next time. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for listening to Bassett's Knowledge. Yeah, we hope that you found something useful to put into your boss of knowledge. And as we said before, Remember to put something little into your baskets of knowledge every week. 
And as always, feel free to like, comment, and share this podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you.